working like 22 hours a day is that's yeah. not your thing or oh yeah like working yes sleeping also yes so <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not 22 hours but no. uh, yeah but uh, i think it's pretty good taking naps and stuff mm. yeah. but, but can you just elaborate a bit more about the, the scandic thing and, mm-hmm. and um so what what year was this approximately when you actually worked in the scandic lobby areas yeah it's beginning of 2020 uh, mm. and uh, yeah like <clears throat> it, it was very practical since you were reaching out to all these e-commerce stores right mm. and uh, you you worked at scandic uh, one scandic uh, reception area during the morning and then in the afternoon uh, you, you you can't be in the same reception area all day since then and you were just a couple of people then at that time or yeah yeah, yeah. so basically you set up shop in scandic reception this is exactly. such a, a startup war story mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly. and and so basically you you, you had to have your um, sent you know what is strategically smart to go out and yeah. meet to all these e-commerce? Yeah, exactly. So you can, uh, it's too, on, too, too, expensive, to. too expensive to be in like uh, a place central. So why not Scandic? And and then it was quite interesting since uh, when the Pic.ai got started, it was quite timed well with COVID. Um, so Timed well? Or uh, badly <laughs> or well, I don't <laughs> okay. know. Yeah. Um, bad wording, but um, mm. um, like... Uh, you know, you were in a hotel and you didn't know what was happening with this. Mm. This is um, after a while, like uh, if you're in an actual hotel, that's probably one of the worst places yeah. since people are traveling. In terms of uh, <laughs> yeah. being contagious yeah. or getting. So, so regarding an office, I guess, then we we moved to this industrial place in Orsta and uh, yeah, stayed there during the summer. And so, so, okay. So after Scandic, you went to Orsta? Yeah, and, exactly. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And then you went to WeWork in at some point. Yeah, well? uh, we we had the office in between. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. yeah. And all the, all the time now, two people, four people, you know, growing at the whole. The yeah, whole exactly. Time. Yeah. It would be fun to be fifteen people in Scandic Hotel. Yeah, <laughs> we were thinking about that actually, and uh, it would be a horrible idea, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. did did the did the Scandic reception personnel understand that you were setting up shop in their? Oh, the setting up shop. No, it's. More like uh, a few bodies, uh, I guess that's what. Uh, but after a number of times, that uh, they have to recognize you yeah. and say, "Okay, now they're coming again." That's they what I'm saying. Yeah, but like it's interesting. Hours. Like there are a certain set of people who have found this hack, I guess, to, yeah. to be in this reception area. So you get to know this office people. hacking. I think. Yeah, this is office yeah. hack. Yeah, and there are some people who really like chess, for instance, and mm. they they usually go to these reception areas to right. uh, play chess and so forth. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And now you're looking for a new space, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, we're we're 14 people. Like we have stand up every day where everyone gets together. And uh, recently, it's been wow! Like what happened? We've, we've grown our headcount pretty quickly, and um, our, our office right now is too small. And uh, uh, we've been like jumping around, haven't really optimized the office too much. Mm. But uh, I, I think we deserve a really good office and. Uh, something where it can be kind of uh, our own place, right? And, and you still come to the office every day, even during Corona times or what's your... Yeah, personally, yeah. yeah. yeah you said that you don't like working remote so much as, or, as personally you feel... I'm I'm very like, yeah, I, I need to have my habits. Yeah. And uh, if, it's, if it's not like the same habits every day, it's uh, no, uh, so... 
yeah. it's good to have a place to go to yeah i think that's cool yeah um that's really nice and i hope you find an awesome place i think mm -hmm. you certainly de deserve it and, oh yeah <laughs> uh, it would be fun to see you know how that would look like as well yeah know, if it yeah. will be a lot of dashboards or plants mm -hmm. or yeah you said that or, well, you, you said also that this is about putting the mark getting back what is the culture finding the culture yeah, of, exactly and and what is the what, what's the you know can you can you paint the picture of mm. your culture a lot of dashboards you said i like that yeah so right now we like the nice thing with the pic.ai is a product is that um, many ai related products like you need to solve a problem to start with and maybe the way you solve the problem is not by um uh, it, it, like it's not maybe the artificial intelligence that does the heavy work maybe it's something else and then you can sprinkle on top salt and pepper a little bit of ai and then you get the checkbox you have good marketing and then uh it's gets maybe 10 to 20 percent better with with ai that's well a, yeah that's a good topic to speak more about yeah, yeah, but, later but, you know yeah with but, all the supporting systems compared to ai yeah but but the, the point was that you yeah. have a, a system that actually yeah like you said, we have a specific problem that you need to solve with ai or machine learning so yeah. it's like the core of our product is actually applying AI. these cool algorithms and so forth which which um, and it's like very measurable, um, so you can have like fast feedback loops and like really, really focus on on this thing, which, which, uh, yeah, which uh, makes of many other stuff in the culture has extrapolated. But, from and, that. and then the bottom line becomes that even if we have super smart algorithms, hmm. still it needs to get in front of the humans in order for them to draw conclusions and all that. So the visualization here, or, or you know, to have your dashboards and actually have mm. a very nice way. Yeah. You know, how do I touch an algorithm? How do I feel an algorithm? Yeah. You come back to the visualization to some degree, I guess. Yeah, like it's uh, with the dashboards we have, it's maybe more like, how do you measure the performance? Mm -hmm. um, we don't use too many dashboards in that sense to understand the thinking no. behind the algorithm or it's to like measure the, the, end end the end performance, yes. yeah. Which is ultimately then we have a recommender system, mm -hmm. but in mm -hmm. the end we want to understand how it did. Yeah, this is what you want to visualize. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and there are other things in a company you can also measure. Yeah. Well, um, it's awesome to have you here, mm -hmm. Oliver. Yep, thank you. Edlund, and um, I really like you know tech people like yourself. That mm -hmm. uh, I think you started programming very very early, yeah, right? Exactly. So did I, and um, I'm a very much a tech geek, and uh, I think you are as well. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. it's a positive thing to say. I'm not sure if you agree, but I, I, I do certainly think so. So I think we will have an interesting discussion, yep. and I'd love to hear more about who you are and about the, the company you have founded, Depict, etc. But if we start about you, how mm. would you describe who is Oliver Gerholm? Yeah, um, I would describe myself as someone who uh, very much likes building things and uh, building things that uh, at the end has uh, like uh, good impact on the world i would say so and uh, um i think i haven't lived for that long but uh, <laughs> if, if 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 i look back at like all the things i've done it's it's always like i want to build something and how do i achieve building this and 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 yeah, in the beginning when I started programming, it was like I played Minecraft 
And that was the first thing you programmed. Oh, uh, the first thing I programmed, I guess, was this like uh, Lego robot thing. Oh, uh, it's quite okay. classic. Lego yeah. Mindstorms, it's yeah. called. Yeah, cool. uh, yeah. Uh, but it's more like drag and drop, right? Those yeah. kinds of yeah. things. But but I would say the more the real programming was played Minecraft, and then you you get bored of the game, and then to make it more fun, you can actually go into the source code of of of, of the game and. You start with very, very small things and then you can iterate and make more and more advanced. But this is super cool because it's also, uh, uh, you know, Lego mm. is, you, would you say that it's a quite nice first introduction for kids or people who are oh. sort of curious, but not really there yet? So a drag and oh. drop is a way to understand what programming does. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I also. think, I guess it started like, um, I like building things yeah. and uh, you can build stuff with the Lego yeah. and, uh, and, um, then there's this robot you can build with Lego. So you have all your Lego parts and then you have your sensors yeah. attached to it and you attach it to a computer and then you can have uh, drag and drop stuff there. Um, I guess that's a good introduction. Because it's the whole chain, right? Mm, yeah. As an ecosystem yeah. with a sensor, mm. with, with the uh, code, yeah. uh, with that robot. Yeah, I, I think the best way, if, if you want, I guess if someone has like a kid and you want them to program, but you want this to do This is why it, I'm asking, but Yeah, way. you want to do it in a sneaky way, right? Yes. It's, it's, it's like coming from their end. It's not that you force them to start programming. I guess you should find something they're passionate about mm -hmm. and then um, how can you... Yeah, you know, then I need yeah. to share a private. Yeah. So my, my mid little, mm -hmm. my child, I have three kids. Felix is the middle guy and he is uh, passionate uh, about Minecraft and Lego. Mm. Oh yeah, that's good. Good, that's start. good. good start. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Now, now I need to find a sneaky way. So keep going here. Yeah, uh, we, yeah. we, we have Lego Mindstorm. How do I get him into programming? You know, he doesn't know he's, he's still doing Minecraft mm. on the console. What do I need to do to get him to, how do I need to, Sneak him into programming. I think um, when I started, it was more that you hack. It was kind of hacky on you how you started programming mm -hmm. in, in that game. But I think the game as a whole have realized that this is a gr great way to get started. So I think they've made some programs or applications to actually steer people into programming. But, but you're on the PC side of yeah, that's PC for sure. Yeah, um, for sure. And then there's this thing, this thing called Redstone in ah. in the game, where it's like you can actually, if you go to YouTube, you can see like people who built like an actual computer in this Redstone thingy in the game Minecraft. And Crazy. So you yeah. build a computer inside the game yeah, itself. Yeah, um, exactly. Oh, and yeah. Uh, so that's maybe one 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 way to start, like showing some cool. YouTube videos and then. So Redstone, I need to f uh, remember about Redstone. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do all this with Felix. Yeah, uh, and then, uh, yeah, and th then, then the real thing is like uh, doing these modifications, right? And then that's, that was ho hooked me. And then, then you program that in Java. And yeah. when uh, I got, I, I knew how to program in Java uh, to some extent then. And then apparently you can make this Android apps if you knew Java. And I made some like Android apps related to problems I had or I, I, 
I go to school <coughs> and or the first app I made was like making random goose sounds, which was totally random. <laughs> goose sounds? Yeah, so you, uh, it was called Goose Pot, uh, which mm-hmm. is super random. But uh, you like double tap on the phone and you get a random goose and, uh, image of a goose and then mm-hmm. a random goose sound. Mm-hmm. And then I, just to make it fun, I, I made so you have to ta- had to pay for it, right? So it ca- cost seven <laughs> crowns or something. And then... <laughs> Then people started paying for this goose something. Really? And, and then like, if I can do this, then... Speaking yeah. about <laughs> making impact on our society, right? Yeah. So, the goose people. sound app, yeah. seven kroner. I yeah. love it. I'm, that's awesome. But then it's like, you have a need, and then uh, what's the next thing? Well, uh, I need to practice my glossaries. That's one of the problems if you're young. Oh, and then yeah. you make an app for that. And oh, then you it, made an app to improve schoolwork. Yeah, and then like... That's it became quite popular uh, within the ad- Android ecosystem. And then I realized, well, if you write code once mm. and then other people start using it, then it's pretty cool. Yeah. How old were you when, when you basically did your first apps, like the Glossary yeah, app? Yeah, 12, 12 years old. Yeah. 12 years old? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And then from that, yeah, sorry. No, no, continue, please. Yeah, and then from that, it... Uh, um, made some apps and uh, I think I, what I did is uh, you have these essays in school um, where uh, like this was in middle school, so it wasn't super advanced, um, but uh, to make an essay uh, at that level, it's a lot of like uh, reading stuff on the internet and then writing it in your own words, which is relatively simple. Um, So I got interested in like, okay, if I connect, so start with uh, maybe connecting to the Bing search API. Right. So mm-hmm. you want to write about about cells within biology, right? Yeah. Um, and then you collect all of these links and then you can scrape these sites and get the text. And then you want to split it into paragraphs. And then uh, there's like, okay, what, what kind of subtopics are there within cells? if you want to write about cells and then there's like ribosomes and all all of these things. Mm -hmm. And uh, I made this very hacky script where it basically started writing your essay. for Yeah, exactly. And and then at the end, there's something. This is so cool. And cheating using uh, AI. So so the point is this, is it cheating when you're writing a script? (laughs) I I made the AI, I'm the father of the AI. And yeah. the AI, which is mine, wrote the essay. How is this cheating? I don't think it's cheating. It's, it's meta. It's meta. Meta learning or something. So yeah. for me, this yeah. is meta learning because, but the point is, you probably learn more than any yeah. other kid yeah. simply to structure the data. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's thing at, at, at the end, there's something called article spinning, which is like you, you, if you take something from the internet and uh, you write, write about it, there's ways to trace that back to the source. Right. So if you like copy pasted something about ribosomes mm. uh, from Wikipedia, then you can trace it back through the software. Mm. But if you do apply article spinning, you like rewrite the textual style. Mm. And uh, there were some, that was before the very fancy uh, natural language uh, processing NLP models that we have today, but uh, in hindsight, or if 
these cool technologies that are out there today existed, and uh, mm. this would be very powerful. This uh, so you, you, you have cracked the code here. This is meta learning, mm. and mm. now and then you've done it with article spinning, and now yeah. your sped spins. What if I had the NLP models back then? Yeah, yeah. What <laughs> <laughs> going from office hacking to um, essay hacking? And, yeah, uh, I love it. Yeah. yeah then the good. next hack was uh, I played. The, uh, FIFA, uh, the game, mm. uh, football game. Yeah, the football game. Yeah, and uh, um, you can do something called FIFA Ultimate Team, mm. where if uh, like you can play against other people online and stuff like that, and uh, um, you can like trade football cards. So uh, yeah, I guess when you were younger, you traded physical cards. Yeah, sorry. Uh, my my Tio. Uh -huh. So it's my youngest. He's crazy about this. Yeah, that's all he does. <laughs> yeah, and the, uh, the nice thing is they have a mobile app for mm. this, and you in, if you intercept the requests, you can like reverse engineer. So you can do trading from your computer, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can. Uh, so what, you hack the ultimate. Yeah. So then so you, you can, can you accelerate. can get FIFA coins, right? So you can uh, buy the best football cards. <laughs> so like you traded. You had some uh, good techniques to trade football cards. Right? So, so what, what does it take to hack uh, FIFA? Like, like how, mm. how do you intercept the um, the feed? Maybe that's not what we should talk about, or is that okay? I don't yeah, know. I, I'm not <laughs> sure if people are happy. We leave it. We yeah. leave it. Yeah, not the most ethical mm. topic, but yeah, mm. I'm, I'm also have a background in hacking, so mm. yeah. It's interesting, but you have a lot of cool stuff. So going from office to mm. SA to FIFA hacking, what's your ne next hack? My next hack, oh, um, maybe hack is the wrong word, I guess. Uh, um, if in not not in the sense of uh, we we say about hack a process or hack or really do something different. So not mm. hacking, hacking in the negative way, but yeah. hacking can be positive for sure. Yeah. For me, it's a, we yeah. use that a hackathon, right? Mm. It's like, how do I hack this process? We have always yeah. done it like that. Can, can, can we really yeah. think it differently? Yeah. yeah. So what I, have, I have something in mind, um, which is, um, like, uh, can you, so at the pick.ai, we create like product recommendations for e-commerce sites. Mm -hmm. So if you go to an e-commerce product page, mm -hmm. you have the main product and then beneath there's this related product section and mm -hmm. what the pick.ai focuses on is creating the algorithms that decides which products you see there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we are talking to a lot of uh, very uh, like amazing brands that are good at selling amazing products, but they haven't maybe figured out the e-commerce aspect. Before we go too much yeah. into depict, yeah, I think that's a separate topic in itself. Uh -huh. And I think we should certainly go there very soon. But before we do that, I mean, you, you have an interesting background as well. And um, uh, let's see what, what were the last thing we said, you know, you moved into working with FIFA and you tried to do some apps and hacking for that. Um, and what were the next steps? You know, yeah. what led up actually to you starting Depict AI before actually doing that? So starting with the hackers, a way to get into programming, mm. and then moving closer and closer, I guess, into machine learning and all this. Yeah. So I guess those were some examples of you have a very concrete problem, um, and to solve this problem, you happen to need to know machine learning stuff, mm. basically. Um, and I, after a while, like you. You have this problem, and then to I also, to solve this problem, you need to 
learn these machine learning methods. In the beginning, maybe you just learn the interface to the to the machine learning model. Maybe you, it's more of a black box, but then you realize, oh, I need to learn the math. So, so how did you get into machine learning, by the way? Was it through school, some through some school, uh, course, or was it just you actually yeah, doing yeah. self-studies? Or how, how self-studies completely. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, you have a problem and to solve the problem, there are a lot of online resources, yeah. like massive open online courses and all of those things you can take. Um, That's how you did it. Yeah, exactly. So do you remember your first machine learning problem that you wanted to solve? Yeah, the first machine learning problem, um, there was this website called um, Prata med datorn, uh, mm. talk with the computer. Mm. And uh, this was before chatbots were cool, I think. Mm. Um, or Still not cool, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But uh, it was, I, and the, I thought, thought it was really interesting since you could say like, you could say stuff and it answered, but it was not a real person. And, and um, the way they constructed that chatbot, I think, is by steering the conversation. So it was very rule-based and you steer the conversation into a topic where you have many, many rules. So maybe it knows a lot about pizza. And then you so steer we'll this conversation to pizza, pizza. <laughs> and yeah, in the chatbot. So I wanted to create my own chatbot for, for that um, and uh, didn't know anything about machine learning or anything. And, uh, and in, in, like I, I, I forced the user to write in the right grammar and uh, everything. So it was a little bit easier. Um, so then, then you add simple rules to start with, like, what if they wrote the question marks? What are the, uh, like, what, what things can you really, what general things can you say? So it mm. sounds cool that it makes sense. Yeah. And, and then uh, you experiment on your friends and then mm. eventually you get something. So what was the problem, was the game or the problem to try to get a conversation going? Yeah, exactly. That yeah. was the, that was the problem. Yeah, How can fluent, I get conver fluent conversation? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense, but to the listener or to the talker, actually, it it maneuvers. Yeah, so that was the problem you were trying you to. Can you fool your friends that this is an actual person? I guess that so was the Turing test already. Yeah, the Turing yeah. test exactly. Exactly. And what year was this approximately? You think? Oh, I don't remember. I was thirteen, I think. Uh, yeah, when I did that, and uh, so two thousand fifteen uh, something or um, mm, probably earlier, oh, or later. Because, you know, chatbots has been around for, for an extremely long time. You know, yeah. it's one of the most interesting classical AI problems of all. And I think that the most famous the and earliest one was from 1964 mm -hmm. called ELISA. And it was this kind of mm. chatbot, if you call it that, where you could speak about psychological problems. Mm. And it simply replied back by just turning your latest answer to a question. Yeah, how do you feel about that? <laughs> uh, what's, uh, what's that type of questioning called? Rogerian. Rogerian yeah. questioning technique. Yeah. Mm. But it, it really worked surprisingly well, but it was very much rule-based and mm -hmm. still is, right? Mm. And, and so was yours, I guess, yeah. uh, at that time. And it's a bit sad that uh, even the chatbots of today is actually very much rule-based. Yeah, but yeah, the, the, the way I got into machine learning there, I guess, was people started chatting with it mm. and uh, uh, it was very cumbersome increasing the vocabulary right. of it by myself manually. So could I, could I reverse and could I automatically in, interpret the chats I had mm. with other people mm. to in, automatically increase the vocabulary? 
and that's so you automate how, a part yeah. of the process of actually yeah. building and programming the machine. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's a classical and best, best definition of machine learning that uh -huh. we have. Uh -huh. You know, when you automate a part of the process of building mm. some kind of intelligent system. Mm. Cool. Um, so chatbots for something, and um, yeah, can can you just uh, speak a bit shortly about you know what led up to before you actually started with the picts? Yeah. And so uh, when I was uh, finishing middle school, uh, I got in contact with Klarna, mm -hmm. and uh, um, yeah, uh, managed to get like a summer job there, mm -hmm. and uh, it worked. I did uh, well since I, I had been doing like open source projects and so forth by myself during mm -hmm. middle school. And some, even though people didn't know about my age, people were using and it was your like. Code. So people were using your code, like yeah. used because it was good code. And then. Yeah, and then <laughs> it was tools, machine learning related. Yeah. Uh, and uh, through that, uh, yeah, so we found this village in Kalmar called Torshås. And if you go, I am from Kalmar, by the way. Oh, if you don't know it, so yeah. I know Torshås and Kalmar very well. Yeah, yes. and if you go to high school there in Torshås, then are you from Kalmar, by the way? Or? No, uh, Stockholm. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. But you went? Did you go there for? Yeah, so I went at, to that uh, high school, mm, okay. and uh, and this is as the focus this high school, I guess. Uh, so it's uh, the only. Uh, we're before COVID, the only high school where you're allowed to do it remotely, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I, I was already in the mindset that maybe school isn't the best path, like the traditional school. That's a, a, not a topic I have on the list, uh -huh. so I'd yeah. love to talk more about that shortly. Uh, yeah. so you, you're brilliant, but the normal school is not the real path for everyone. Yeah, and it's... Uh, Not for you, at least. Yeah, and that, that probably has to do with more of my personality than yeah. maybe that. I think many people who, uh, yeah, the, probably some people should go to school. <laughs> no, <laughs> and, but I, I yeah. think this is very, uh, this is a, a topic in itself, interesting to talk about uh, how the education system looks like and mm. how how we're supposed to be in a certain way and clearly humans are not. We, mm. we are all quite different. And, and then we have a, a system that works well for some people or kids because that's their profile. Mm. And clearly it, it is not working so well for another personality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, But I, I think it's very yeah. huge that you figure that out mm. and, and follow your path. So in Klarna, you, you did some summer job. Can you just speak a bit more? What do you, do you actually do there in Klarna? Yeah, so um, I'm not sure how much I can say, but it, oh, okay. it, it's uh, involved, it uh, involved the web automation, actually. Oh, okay. um, oh, nice. So how can you like, apply uh, machine learning mm. to automate stuff on the web, mm. uh, which was... And do information really extraction in some way from the web. And, yeah, 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 and like e-commerce pages and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, and, and then I continued that. So I worked at Klarna during the day. Mm. Then during the afternoon, I went to this online high school. Uh, and I did that for roughly a year. Mm. Um, and then um, uh, I I got very interested in uh, like how can you apply uh, machine learning on web pages mm. to make them more accessible for blind and vision impaired, which is like maybe a bit random topic. But, but, I but it seems like a pet project or a passion project for you. 
Yeah, it was a passion project in the beginning, but then it became a huge project for yeah. me. Um, and uh, um, I still think there's like potential there. Um, so uh, if you're blind or vision impaired and you navigate a website, mm. what you basically have to do is you have to read the HTML code behind the website from top to bottom. That's what you do when you navigate a website as a blind and vision impaired person. Like with voice. Yeah, with, with voice. And, and that creates many, many problems. So what if you jump into an image and the, the, the programmer behind that website hasn't read the a description for it, then it's like an image, but I don't know what it is. Or what if you have an icon and it's like a search icon, but there's no description of what happens then? Or what if the HTML code is structured in a way that like the footer actually starts at the top of the code? Or so it's like, you don't know which order is the right order and uh, huge so amounts of problems. You don't understand the layout by simply yeah. looking at the HTML. And, 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 and you really see, I mean, like this is a, a really fundamental problem or in, in our world today, mm. we're kind of all online, mm. but the online is not really inclusive if you're vision impaired. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, I think it becomes worse actually, since uh, with uh, like uh, the web, web technologies are like advancing, so they become more like dynamic. There's uh, single page application frameworks where mm. it's actually uh, these uh, screen readers, they're called that interpret websites, they don't catch up basically. And the way these screen readers are funded for is by a comp, there's a company most people are using a software called JAWS and it's like one company that has monopoly on everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they force the government to subsidize the screen reader for the blind and vision impaired and it costs huge amounts of money and uh, it's yeah. up for disruption. Yeah, it's up for disruption. Um, but the, yeah, yeah. So it, it's a hard space. But also. how did you come up? How did you find yourself thinking about this problem? Or did you have a connection to it in any way, this problem? You know, um, how do you come? You yeah, know? so um, I I wasn't like, I didn't know anyone specifically like related to it, but uh, um, uh, when I, I guess I'm wandering around a lot and I, I guess by wandering around, I came to that very specific problem. And when you start thinking about it, it's very clear that so what, what's your solution? What was your best way of simply mm. making the web more accessible for yeah. vision impaired? Yeah, so um, maybe I didn't implement the whole solution, but uh, I think the solution to it is instead of relying on just... The, so there's these screen reader softwares that's out there today, they rely a lot on um, looking at the HTML code mm. by the site. You need to. I'm not using JavaScript, by the way, right? Or yeah. So, yeah, it becomes very tricky. Like, mm. like what? What if you click on a button and then the web totally re-renders and everything? How do you communicate that yeah. uh, blind vision impairment? Right. Comes pretty hard. Um, so, I, I think you should apply. You should render the page, and then you should apply computer vision, uh, like machine uh. learning algorithms, on the web page. And then describe it. Yeah, exactly. Was that your approach or? Yeah, exactly. So. So you try to describe from an image point of view. Yeah, since. What the page yeah, looked like. Yeah, since um, 
there's a lot of software that they're like super optimized to understand HTML code. Like there are all of these solutions, but where you hit the boundary of understanding the web page even further is when there are these visual aspects. Mm. And if like there are self-driving cars somewhat, mm. like and they operate in very, very complex environments, uh, I would argue that the website is actually simpler. In some senses, yeah. So, uh, yeah. But actually, you could also argue, I think, the other way, which is mm. to say that the Elon Musk way of doing self-driving cars mm. okay. is by completely relying on computer vision, mm -hmm. not doing other sensors like LiDAR, etc., mm. but only relying on vision. Mm. And I think, you know, potentially what you're saying is you're doing a bit the same. Yeah. Or we're thinking a bit the same, you know. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, but... Like you don't need lidar to web navigate that no. web page. <laughs> but so so but it but it, the part of the problem is first of mm. all to get extremely good computer vision, mm. and then is to translate that into, yeah, voice. Yeah, exactly, and, and that's um, why I got interested in like uh, I read uh, your Google Scholar mm. uh, right. articles, uh, unless you did uh, like research in how you extract things from the web mm. very very early on. Since I think if you solve the like comprehending a website in a good way, mm. then you basically solve it also for computers to a further extent. Right. So there's like uh, robotic process automation, like RPA. He has a thing with these acronyms, <laughs> chatbots, RPA, it's, yeah. it's, it's uh, fake. It's on my bottom list, but. But, but you I think don't pay attention to this old man. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think you can, like, but yeah, can, can you frame it like this? I mean, the first step in being able to, for example, make web pages understand provision mm. impaired is for the machine to actually understand the meaning, the yeah. semantics of it, and then the machine can explain it to the yeah. vision impaired in a proper way. But the first step is really to make the machine understand a bit, yeah. you know, more about the semantics. So, yeah. so, but, so if you solve that first part, mm. you can take that into many use cases, of course. Yeah. So, so if you, in, in like there's, if you, if you want to do like a reinforcement learning thing, mm -hmm. right? So if you want to train a re reinforcement learning engine to play some game, right? Mm -hmm. If there are all of these levers it, it can have, imagine you give a robot uh, an Atari-like game and there are a thousand buttons and it needs to learn the game from scratch. If there are a thousand buttons, then it's pretty hard to learn anything from scratch with any supervision, right? Since there's so many possibilities and yeah. what does this button do? What does this button do? But if you can decrease the amount of buttons, so it be becomes less complex to maybe have three buttons, then it's much easier, uh, less dimensions for the uh, for the robot to, to And learn. if you were to go a yeah. bit more technical about this, yeah. so you try to take a more vision approach, you try to hmm. understand the meaning of web pages, what type of models were you using? If you can what share it. What type of models? Um, so I think um, the uh, there are a bunch of sub problems. So uh, there's something called WCAG, W-C-A-G, which mm. is like uh, web standards on like if so the the ground one of the problems with web pages is if programmers, web developers, actually follow these web standards. Mm then blind and vision impaired will have a relatively easy time right. navigating a web page. But don't you think yeah. that is imp improving though, that the mm. latest HTML5 standards, et cetera, is a bit improved on, on the previous ones or? 
So the standards maybe are better, yeah. but the hard part is actually the like yeah. there's a lot of people need to actually follow those standards. That's a mm -hmm. big problem, and I don't I don't think people will follow those standards yeah. um, if if it's not easier to follow them. Mm. Um, so um, so there are some problems like you need to be able to tab through a web web page mm. in the correct order. So if right. you right click on tab, I shouldn't. Uh, my the thing that the screen reader describes should be the first thing on the page. It shouldn't be in the middle of the page and you get totally disoriented. Mm. So like, um, yeah, that's a bad explanation. But No, no, but it's what it, we said before. You know, the footer mm. can be in the order of the HTML code yeah. in the top, but yeah. the vision or the layout when you see it is is different. So yeah. then it should understand the proper vision yeah, exactly. order of it. So so that's like a sub problem uh, I, I, I worked on quite a lot. And then and, and you can just go to this accessibility standards and like, mm. okay, uh, there are automated checks to check how accessible a website is. Right. Um can you like okay, where where are the what are the biggest problems on the web as a whole mm. that people don't follow. Well, tabbing is one of them. Uh, another problem which is quite obvious, which is like, oh, you have an image and it doesn't have this alt attribute like that right. describes what's in the image. Well, then you can do what's the best possible image captioning like for, for that. Uh, there's, there's a sub problem within. Could we actually do that yourself as well with trying to generate captions for images? Yeah, but uh, I, that that's more, yeah, then you use like uh, APIs for that, mm. since uh, th th those are the best. Um, and then there's a sub problem, which is more specifically the icons. So sometimes you maybe have a button and it says search on the button, but sometimes you have a button, it's an actual image of a search icon. Mm. And usually these aren't labeled as actual search icons. So if a blind or vision impaired person goes to that search button, that, uh, they don't know whether it, what that is. Nice. So then that's a pretty simple computer vision task to just, uh, but, but then there are so many possible icons in out there on the web that you yeah. need to be able to classify. Um, so what, what you need to do then is you need to scrape huge amounts of websites. Oh, so you didn't do the API approach here. No, no. Yeah. So you scrape a huge amounts of websites um, and so like, can you automate a way to collect a huge data set? Mm. Uh, and uh, so you scrape a large amount of websites and uh, then it's, it, there are some ways to automatically detect if something is an icon or if it's an actual real natural image, uh, like you can count the amount of uh, distinctive colors in the image and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and, uh, uh, um, yeah, and, and so you can like classify, is this an icon or is this a nat natural image? Is this an icon, is this a natural image? Mm -hmm. And uh, since the web is so large, you can you can find this, you can create this data set where maybe I missed a bunch of I icons, but at least this data set includes actual icons. And then you can do even more filtering after that, which is, so some websites have already labeled what, okay, I have a search icon here, Mm. And the programmer, they were very kind oh, very uh, and they right. labeled it as a search icon. Mm. Uh, if they didn't label it, or if you do some heuristics on the text and it's, and it's like 
a poorly formatted text, then you scrap that from the data set and mm -hmm. then you can just do some like nearest neighbor search thing. Yeah. So sorry for taking so much time yeah. on this because, because I think it's such an interesting topic, but I think we need to move into to depicted eye, etc. Yeah, but, uh, but, but, but before we do that. But yeah. I just want to reflect that when you start opening up a problem, it's mm. a problem in the problem in the problem in the problem. Mm. And and what you're describing, Oliver, is also like this to go to the root of the problem and to really understand it, you need to <laughs> mm. you need to go all the way. Mm. And uh, very cool. Can we just try to close up perhaps this um, uh, interesting project that you had mm. with trying to, to, to make web pages more accessible for vision mm. impaired? So you build some kind of project or solution uh, for it. Mm. And can you just speak a bit about, you know, what is the, what was the end result? Where is it today? Mm. And uh, yeah, what's the current yeah. status? Yeah, so the end result, um, I created a bunch of these like extensions to screen readers. I call it screenreader.ai. Oh. And uh, uh, now if you go there, I don't think there's anything. Uh, but people were using it, uh, and they were very active users. And I tried to find ways to maybe uh, make it a larger project, mm. uh, but that was hard. So you worked yourself, it wasn't a multi-people project? It yeah, it's was by myself. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, it ended up that people uh, it impacted a lot by the vision impaired within mm. these uh, sub problems, um, but uh, uh, yeah, didn't go the for the whole vision, right? To mm. since I, I think if you solve the whole vision, vision in a double sense, yeah. pun yeah. intended, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that you're still a uh, little bit. It's a it's a sleeper. Could be it's could, a sleeper. Huh? It's a sleeper that you know you might when you crack it, you mm. when you have a next brilliant idea on it, you will push it a little bit further. Yeah, I think if if you wait a little bit, wait for like technology to mature, um, you, someone will do something there, and it will be pretty cool. I think. Yeah, and it could be you. Could it be you? Oh, in, like when you figure no. it out, or, or have you? I will do the picked not AI. It's even cooler. Yeah. It's even cooler. I yeah. like it. Or I, I think there are many connections to that. But Maybe yeah. it is. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a perfect segue then in mm. moving more into the depict. Um, can you just start speaking a bit more about, you know, how did you come up with that uh, mm. idea? Yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, so, so the way I got to that idea is uh, I was doing consulting for various e-commerce sites and uh, I was also like a personal uh, e-commerce buyer myself mm -hmm. and uh, if you go to many like e-commerce stores in Sweden for 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 example uh, and you you maybe want to buy uh, a keyboard or whatever uh, and uh, you I'm very like detailed oriented when I buy these keyboards and whatever I, I, I buy and you look at the recommendations mm -hmm. to them it blows you away since they they were like so bad. So if you go to many e-commerce sites today, you maybe have a keyboard and then you get recommended like a dishwashing machine that that can happen. Like or you get recommended. Uh, I I'm uh, like there are all of these very bad examples you can usually find uh, out out there if, if you browse around where like like just by looking at recommendations they. 
I'm eager yeah. to ask you know about yeah. you know the names of the e-commerce sites, mm. but we shouldn't name mm. bad examples. I don't mm. think. Um, but uh, I can certainly agree, agree, mm. agree with you that you know the the level of performance when it comes to recommender but systems if you for flip e-commerce it, sites in Sweden is really wh- which weird. which sites do you think are the best in the world? to nail mm. down the recommendation that is, oh, this is beautiful. The way I go and search for this and they very, very, they know my brain. Who, yeah. who, who you respect? So the, the sites that use the picked, not AI to start <laughs> with. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's also like, it depends on what the circumstances are. Mm. Some e-commerce sites, they, they operate on a marketplace and the data quality that they get varies a lot. Yeah. And that's a huge problem. Yeah. And there are many more like variables you need to take into account. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think like uh, Salando, Wayfair, mm-hmm. those are some that- They, they uh, come away, the they come, they're, yeah. they're in the forefront. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or somewhat in the forefront. Somewhat in the forefront. Yeah, I think Alibaba has some really cool uh, stuff also. Yeah. But you skipped the perhaps most famous one. Mm. Yeah, uh, so then there's Amazon uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't like Amazon, uh, but, um, they they were very early with recommendation engines, yeah. right? And they, they, they got all the hype for it. I yeah. mean, they invented, I mean, the, the yeah. classical collaborative filtering techniques. So, I mean, in that sense, exactly. they're pioneers in the field. Yeah, right? exactly. And uh, uh, they, yeah, Amazon, they, so that's, I, I think they actually have sometimes quite bad recommendations, but actually that's actually because of they operate the marketplace and that's much very hard since like the data quality can vary quite a lot. And then they also have, um, you know, uh, Amazon, they want to, uh, make it harder for the smaller guys. Right. So if, if, uh, they usually create their own private label brands, for instance, and so they for some reason, then the recommendation works better. Yeah. And then, then they will push products that they have better margins on themselves, even though other products could we be should, more you know, be make yeah. people aware that we think they do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I had to share an anecdote. Mm. You know, I went to this Rexus uh, conference, I think back in 2015 mm. or something. And I remember a PhD student went up and spoke about this kind of uh, dynamic pricing model that he invented mm. and said, you know, we can adapt the price depending on the user and some senior data scientists from Amazon mm. stood up and said, this is horrible. Mm. We will never use this in Amazon because we care about the user. We care about, you know, we should have non-discriminatory kind of prices. And, mm. and this was, you know, because we care so much about our users, we would never do this. And it, it is a bit um, conflicting perhaps mm. <laughs> with what some other people think. Mm. Um, but I think still we, we should be fair, you know, to say that Amazon, of course, do care about the user, but they also have, I, I think I've been so frank, you know, what, what my feelings about Amazon is mm. uh, previously on, on this podcast. So I don't think I need to say it again from a lot of other reasons, like open source kind of contribution wise and how they you know, completely commercialize and destroy open source mm. world in different ways. But still, uh, I think we, we need to give them credit when credit is due in, in some way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I just have to but, add but that the, point to it. Yeah, but, um, but it's a little bit interesting. Is it more like you don't like Amazon from a personal reason or from, you know, you don't think it's just a little bit like war because we all have opinions and this is an after work, so we can have mm-hmm. opinions. Yeah. Mm. So I'm just curious, like, because they are not on the top of your list. Uh, mm. Is it more about who they are and, and their, what they stand for? Or is it more about that you don't think it's that I could? Um, 
like they they know better of course internally they they know what, what they optimize for and they know how well they achieve that objective mm. um but um i've been very uh, heavily using their website and um, like trying it out um uh, if you go to the swedish one i expected it to be a little bit better mm. at least yeah me as well uh, but um if you go to maybe the us one and you go into like popular segments that yeah. are frequently uh, interacted with yeah it's probably pretty good um, yeah. so before we go too much in, into that mm-hmm. i mean you said something about you know the difference between operating perhaps a retailer versus a marketplace mm. and, and they very much of course then operate the marketplace where they have many different retailers mm. can can you just unpack that a bit more what do you think the the differences are in terms of you know how, how do you build the best recommender systems mm. when you are amazon versus you are a depict the customer mm. yeah so um if you operate a marketplace and Uh, like usually, like so in Sweden, there's Cedion, there's uh, Findic, uh, for instance, that are marketplaces, and what they they connect with a bunch of other retailers and e- e- e-commerce stores. And what might happen, for instance, is uh, maybe they get mul- multiple companies that want to sell, Same uh, thing. Uh, yeah, uh, a, a Nike shoe, for instance, yeah. Uh, or yeah, a shoe uh, on the site, and. Uh, maybe one e-commerce site they wrote the title in this way they took the images in this way and uh, they wrote the description in this way uh, and, and stuff like that and uh, another e-commerce site wrote it in a completely other way um so even though it's the same shoe uh, the metadata around it is completely different mm. um so um and maybe there's not an a unique identifier that can like join the two so you can see that it's the same shoe so so uh, as a marketplace you first need to know okay what 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 we need to normalize all the products do like product normalization mm-hmm. yeah. so since it's probably pretty bad to recommend the exact same shoe but one one uh, one store is selling it for the double the price like mm-hmm. i don't want to recommend that one for instance um uh, there's like some Um, some of these companies that connect uh, they just provide a lower quality of service so maybe they have bad shipping they have bad customer support uh, those kinds of things and that's something you need to take into account into the into the marketplace recommendation engine maybe uh, one of the providers they they have their warehouse closer to where you live and they can like ship it's it faster nice. to you mm-hmm. um So, but I think the biggest problem is the that uh, there's like there's no there's usually no uh, single way to categorize the products, the metadata, to write the yeah. descriptions. So, so the, the recommendation mm. metadata yeah. will make it you know the recommendation is hard to be as accurate or crisp. Yeah, exactly. Cool, and and it's so easy to jump into recommender system problems mm. directly. But let's try to just speak a bit more mm. about the so, yeah, so launch we were... of the Pict AI and what happened there. So you, you did work as consultant for a number of e-commerce sites, mm. and uh, you want to find keywords and you want to have you know your yeah. clear ideas about you know this is the type I want. So how did that continue into actually you starting a yeah. new company? So and, and then I think one very big thing connected to that also is. 
uh, if you look at all of these uh, research papers from maybe YouTube, Alibaba, and mm-hmm. so forth, um, they can create these uh, really cool uh, recommendation engines that use all of these bells and whistles, and they work amazing. Um, but if you try to maybe recreate one of those recommendation engines and put it into a uh, Scandinavian retailer, yeah. then it's like you maybe b- have this amazing Ferrari, mm. but you don't have any fuel, right? You don't have near. Data is missing. Yeah, or. exactly. And mm. and uh, uh, that is like a meta problem in in many places. So uh, maybe Amazon they have the infrastructure and the engineers and the data to solve a bunch of problems mm. uh, with machine learning. Whilst the the little guys, they basically don't have this scale to get sufficient amount of data to utilize these deep learning models and so forth. And and that kind of meta problem is something uh, like can can depict.ai be a force where maybe we we can be the ones that know how to create like there's one thing to create maybe a Formula One car. And that's maybe not fuel efficient, uh, but you can also create a normal car that can still drive and drive very fast. Can we create those cars for the normal e-commerce site, basically, that that takes the, the data quantities that they have and utilizes it in the best possible way? And there's not that much research in those areas since uh, the, the companies that have sufficient amount of scale to do all of this research are the companies that have a lot of resources, a lot of data and so forth. Um, it's very so similar to good. what we so good. speak about so often, which is called the AI divide, which mm. is, you know, we have the big tech companies like Amazon mm. or Google or Microsoft and whatnot, and they have the data, they have the infrastructure, they have the research groups. But if you try to apply their, their solution to normal size companies mm. or to the rest of the very the tech giants have very few number of companies that can do this. And and the that type of solution usually doesn't work for normal companies. Mm. And is is it correct to say that the picked AI would be trying to find a solution that works for, for normal companies? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um and uh, especially within e commerce, I think uh, if you look at like machine learning where like where is it applied and it actually gives pretty good business impact Mm -hmm. e-commerce and retail is one of the places like you mentioned dynamic pricing Mm -hmm. like when when should you which image should i show search uh, like uh, listing there's a bunch of machine learning problems where if you solve them in a good way that has a lot of like bottom line impact so i think that's that's an industry that's very good to start with to to Mm -hmm. So but but before the spin on this, like mm. Oliver, I think it's quite profound what you what you have what you have what you're telling now because it's also a little bit like with the AI divide, we we talk about these are the best companies and also these are the guys spitting out the uh, the papers and the papers and mm. the papers and we get blinded and so impressed with them mm. and and you know you can run and chase the next better number on what they are doing. Mm. And here we have a guy <laughs> who, when 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 did you start thinking about his problem? Like in when did I start? So I started it when I was um, seventeen. Yeah. Uh, so, so 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 here we have a guy who's seventeen years old, mm. who who in my opinion is smarter than the whole academic <laughs> world because uh-huh. he's basically trying to figure out another problem, not going after the the numbers of of the paper that Google has mm. done, but but you realize that 
well, they are geared towards the problem in this way because that will help them. Mm-hmm. But the way they have framed the problem will not help the normal e-commerce yep. guy. So how would I frame the problem? And then you say, oh, it's not so much research on this. Mm-hmm. Hello, Sweden. Hello, academics. Can we please start thinking like Oliver a little bit more? So it's profound, like what you did and how you thought about the problem. I think that's what we go back to and say, the big giants say, I'm not, I'm not scared of the other big giants. I'm, I'm scared about the, the, the smart startups that flips the problem on us. And, and this is a really concrete example of this that you can take into how do we improve outcome of the academic world? You know, this example, right? And, and how to think when you want to start a company. So mm. fantastic storytelling. Mm. But just for people listening into this and they are impressed with your journey and they want to do something similar. So mm. they have perhaps a good idea like you had. Mm. They need to realize it somehow. Yes. Um, how did you make that happen? So... I think you should start with a very concrete problem. Um, so it's um, something, especially if you're more tech oriented, it's more like, I have this cool technology. Mm. I have this hammer where, who can I, what can I like use with this hammer? Mm. That's a wrong approach usually. Um, it's so more start with a technology. You yeah. Should. Start with a specific problem. And it should be a hair burning problem. So it should not be like, oh, it's nice to have. It should be like huge problem. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a problem. It doesn't have to be a huge market, actually. Uh, I would say it can be a very small market to start with, but find like, instead of finding a thousand people who kind of like you, find 10 people who love you and then specify that problem, find that problem, and uh, uh, ensure that it's connected to a vision that you can really work for for a very long time and be very get people to work for that vision. And, uh, and then just make those 10 users love you even more. And, and then, okay, now they love you so much that they will tell their friends, right? Since the world is so large now that even if you start with a very, very small market, it's much better to f- have a very small defined problem. In I think that's there. more or less the definition of innovation. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm speechless, Oliver. <laughs> so what you yeah, said now is so good. It's so good, Oliver. I yes. try to, to make Spotify innovated by introducing dance bond as a, as a mm. type of genre in music. Um, I failed uh, miserably at that, oh. but at least I got the genre into Spotify, oh, which I'm, <laughs> I'm proud of. But I think, you know, otherwise, you know, the whole idea Mm. that innovation doesn't happen for the mass market. Mm-hmm. Innovation mm. happen for the small, yeah. more dedicated set of people that will later build up to be the new type of mass mm. market potential. Yeah. But it doesn't start with the mass market. Yeah. I think this is one part of it. I, I think the other part of it is that go for the very specific burning problem mm. and care about finding the burning problem. I mean, like the management consultant would, would go the other way and say, uh, where is the value pool? Where can I find 10,000 people? And like, th- that's just the wrong idea. The, find the burning problem. And, and if that burning problem is the right one, that you have what you said, a sustainable vision that you can grow around, then you are flipping it. And all of a sudden you create a new mm. industry or a new yeah. market. So so it's, it's, just, it's the burning problem idea, I think is the number one. Mm. And then, and then th- you don't care if it's more, many or small. I love it. Yeah, and the world is so large that there's always larger market usually. Yes. Yeah. 
But still, if you were to be more practical, you know, hmm. you had the idea, hmm. you had a potential good set of 10 people that loved the hmm. whole idea, but you need to realize it somehow. Hmm. What do you do? What do you do? Um, so, uh, we, so the pick.ai, we got through this, uh, famous like uh, startup program called Y Combinator. So did I, you apply for that or how did you, that happen? Yeah, um, I applied for it and uh, we got in, uh, but uh, what uh, I'm maybe re reiterating a lot what they, they are saying, but um, uh, the question was, uh, how do you go about solving that? So um, as a tech person, the, the bias is to let's write some code now mm. and let's let's go into the uh, cellar or the Scandic hotel and just write code all day. Mm. Um, what you should actually do is you should probably just find this user first and talk to them a lot and then uh, time, time box yourself. So you, you should definitely not spend more than a month uh, writing a, creating a solution for them, uh, maybe one week and then see how well that works. And then you show it to this user that have like, hey, okay, you have this specific problem. Um, uh, we made this solution in a week that it's really bad, but uh, can you give feedback? Since if I work on this problem for a year, uh, maybe there are all these assumptions that you're usually wrong about. Mm. So when you show it to the user, it actually doesn't, it doesn't, they don't care about 95% of the features. It's actually so quickly move yeah. to the market, test yeah. on users and iterate on the feedback yeah. you receive yeah. from the users. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, but yeah. if I were to challenge that, though, yeah. because I think, of course, I agree, uh -huh. you should go quickly to the market. But still, uh, if I just try to, to be the devil's advocate mm -hmm. here, then you have this famous um, Ford quote mm. saying, if you just do incremental improvements mm. all the time, we would never have invented the car. We would just had a faster horse. Yeah. What's your response to that? If you heard, have, have you heard about the quote? Yeah, I yeah. Heard, heard about that quote. Um, and uh, like, so that's, that's a good point. Um, I think like usually if there's a, if you really, really focus on a specific problem, that's usually, uh, how, uh, you, you can solve it. Um, there's, there's of course, uh, I, I'm trying to think about innovations like the World Wide Web, how, how was mm. that started? So that was started by uh, Tim Berners-Lee wanted to do something for, uh, for to share stuff with other researchers. If mm, I, concern, uh, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, so that was like a huge, innovation maybe they maybe that was the car instead of the horse and what he did, i think yeah. you already answered the question yeah. actually so i think you know what you said in the beginning that you know the, the innovation doesn't happen mm. in the mass market it does mm. happen with a mm. small set of people yeah. that see you know this is something that is a big problem and if we simply solve this it can be a really big thing mm. uh, so, so i think that's the answer to the ford but, quote actually. but I, actually it's it's like understanding how the Ford quote fits together with what you said, because it's a little bit like first you find the fundamental problem and you start with not with with a mass market, you start here, hmm. but then you don't go in with the 10 and, and don't talk to the 10 people for one year. So when you find your problem, that's when you start iterating and, and evolve the vision. Hmm. So I think that's how that, that's then you're not. But iterating we we on can just, you know, continue our uh, 
quote uh, <laughs> uh, extremist here and, and say basically the only way, I mean, when you do this type of innovation, what you want to think is about, you know, f- for the horse and car kind of problem, it's a question of, you know, I want to get from point A to B. I want mm. to be transported to some position. And then you have to really think, is really a horse the best way to do it? Mm. And then you have to go down to the first principles to yeah. think, you know, you know, how can I really make this happen? And I think that's what you did in some way as well, saying, you know, we see the current, you know, recommender system is not working well, and we need to really think, you know, what is really the problem we're trying to solve? Mm. And think, you know, what are the fundamental building blocks that we have to make this work better? Mm. And then rethink, stop doing what other people are doing, yep. redo it in a different way. And I think that's the, the whole idea of yeah, because now thinking. we almost get soon into the IP because you have sold stuff in a different way. Have you have sold stuff? IP. I think so. Like your intellectual property somewhere mm. is that you, you're flipping the problem and you, mm. you're thinking differently on how to build the data for the recommender system. Exactly. Yeah. You're, cool. re- you're taking away as a one, you know, one engineering or data problem and fixing it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you applied for Y Combinator and you got approved mm-hmm. and you got some initial funding, right? Yep, and exactly. Were it, was it just you at that point or was it also Anton and others? Or? Yeah, so um, Anton just joined when we came in and uh, we were there's another person as well. And uh, yeah, like the Y Combinator, there's, they are this uh, startup accelerator um, that was started by a person called Paul Graham. They were one of the first real startup mm. incubators or accelerators. And there are companies like yeah, like Airbnb, Dropbox, Reddit, uh, many, many huge startups. Out um, of this. Yeah, exactly. Where, where is this originating? Is it American or English? Yeah, it's America. It's American, in San right? Francisco. Yeah. Uh, nice yeah. place. Yeah. So, so, so when nice place. No, 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 but when you applied to go here to this particular incubator, mm. how did you, what, what did you use apply without any connections or did you get recommended to apply because it's huge? Mm. Yeah, it's huge. Um, I, I, they, they have, uh, scouts. No, they, you apply through the web, uh, web form and I didn't do much more than that. And I so think you, you follow the web form and you yeah, did a good they, they have pretty good processes. Um, and then, then it's funny since they have, um, they have this, there's like, I, I think the last batch were like 16,000 companies applying mm-hmm. or something. Um, and, uh, a uh, few percentage of them get accepted into interviews and these interviews are famous since they're quite uh, harsh or like full very on, direct. F- full on, yeah. yeah, full on. So you have like three different partners and it's maybe what. One guy, he like invented Gmail at Google and stuff like that. And then they try to, they try to poke holes in 10 minutes. You only have 10 minutes and they they try to poke holes. If if other people that listen to this want Mm. to learn how to get through that, Mm. what type of questions? Can you give some examples or just some advice, you know, how to pass through that type of interview? So like um, some examples of questions are like, how, how do you know users want this? Um, What's your growth? Uh, well, it's, it's quite common, but uh, it's very specific since they try to find the questions that will throw you off, I guess. Uh, right. So, uh, yeah. But even start further, yep. I mean, like, how the hell do you stand out in a web application? Hmm. 
even there, uh, I mean, like you, you go down, na- you know, this is the elevator pitch for real, right? Or, yeah, or like um, if you want to, I guess if you want to get into Y Combinator, uh, yeah. start with having a very concrete problem, that uh, hair burning problem, and uh, create a solution where you have prove some traction that you're solving this problem. But this is, do you remember some of the text, how you mm-hmm. how you framed your problem when you sent oh, it the application? I think I framed it kind of like this. Um, it's, um, I haven't gone that much into depth, more in specifics of a problem, problem which I can do later, but uh, um, like uh, existing e-commerce sites, so Amazon, they can create amazing product recommendations since they have huge amounts of data. Um, if you're not Amazon, you maybe have a hundred times or a thousand times less data, then you can create, can't use the same algorithms. Uh, and uh, we create algorithms that uh, do that. Works. Yeah. We cr- and then boom, we create algorithms that work with yeah. the, with a few data. Yeah. That's powerful. But it, but it, we we always talk about this and we joke about this when we try to start new businesses or I'm a startup and and <laughs> Anders is on my back. Hmm. Can you nail down your problem? And like sometimes you're working in things that are quite complex, even if it's change hmm. management and all that. But actually, even if you can't hide behind that, I should be able to be so succinct hmm. like you were right now. And I I I it's hard. Yeah, and like the one way combinator. Uh, teach me and teach teach many other companies is um, like when I came in I was even more you know tech focused I guess yeah so maybe if if someone asks what uh, what problem do you solve well then you go into the nitty gritty too early yeah yeah, but what you need to what they really focus on like the first month is like what's your one sentence pitch right or one one sentence description one-liner basically of your company. So after you get the funding, you actually go, do get some kind of coaching as well. Yeah, right? quite a lot actually. Yeah. Uh, it's a very good program. Um, and w- Was uh, this your favorite, you know, number one pick of any programs in the world if you could pick again? Yeah, it's probably the best school you could go, co- go to so if you can get in, yeah. Uh, cool, so you got the funding, you went through the coaching and you started to build up the company. Mm-hmm. Um, then you got some, yeah, if you just continue the story a bit more yeah. uh, and you got more funding, etc. But if you just proceed, what were the, the major steps ahead after that? The major steps after that. So um, we started to get more customers during, uh, during the YC batch, which is for three months. And um, at the end of the YC batch, they have something called Demo Day. And what is YC batch? Oh, sorry, the Y Combinator batch. So they have... The batch of uh, yeah incubator Yeah, exactly. Teams. So they have two batches every year. And in each batch, uh, I think we were like 150 or something mm-hmm. companies. Um, and uh, um, since Y Combinator, they have had many successful companies from before. Investors really like Y Combinator companies and they have a good process to find the ones and coach them in a good way. So and the, yeah. everybody's interested in who's coming out of the batch. Yeah, exactly. The YC batch is a happening thing in San Francisco. Yeah. And uh, so after the three months, they invite, they, they, you have this thing called Demo Day where they invite uh, investors from all, all over the world and the best investors, uh, like seed funding investors, uh, are very keen to be there and uh, 
um, what this was remote also the first time the oh, Y Combinator right. batch was remote. So you had to do it through Zoom and <laughs> you had Peace. one minute to pitch your company. One minute. One minute. Yeah. Now we're talking. For, now we're yeah, talking. For 1,600 people, uh, investors basically. So okay. I'm going to do my one minute pitch. Yeah. Damn it. I need to train. That's uh, that's a big pressure to yeah. do that. Yeah. Okay. So you did that. Um, I guess it went well. Or yeah. It was went it, well. Yeah. And so was it through that specific pitch that you also got the, the next investors or? Yeah. So um, actually before demo day, we had a company called, uh, or a VC seed stage uh, investor called Initialized. They were founded by Gary Tan and Alexis Ohanian. Uh, Alexis Ohanian is um, one of the founders of Reddit, which All is right. like very, he's also like married to Serena Williams and stuff. Um, and uh, they uh, got, in, we got in touch with them before demo day since they, they were quite, and they, they have like Coinbase, they have Instacart. They were mm -hmm. very early in those. Um, and um, yeah, we got, we, we got along w w well. And uh, actually even before demo day, we got, uh, uh, we got, uh, so we raised 2.8 million US dollars from that. And mm -hmm. uh, majority of the funds we raised came from initialized. And then, and then I guess, uh, other investors also wanted to get involved mm. and uh, the way why combinate the white combinated financing is structured is you have a contract which is very easy to get or it's it's not that complex and it's structured in a way that you can have multiple investors mm. in in a good way um so um after that we yeah we got the opportunity to yeah uh, have like EQT north zone um, the CEO and founder of Voy, Cree, uh, um, other companies mm. got twenty-three investors in total from from that. Twenty-three investors, yeah, so within they, a period of like two, three weeks. So, <laughs> so it started, yeah. but the first investors were San Francisco Silicon Valley yeah, based, yeah. and then with that, uh, when was the point in time you got in the Swedish or Nordic investors, so to speak? When did they pick pick it up, or did you go for them specifically, or? Were they there as well? Yeah, they were doing, they were demo there day. at this demo day thing. Yeah. yeah. So they all combined um, resources together, mm. these 23, and came mm. up with an additional funding yep. uh, on top of initialized yep. as well. And then uh, today, what's the, the total tally, so to speak, in, in terms of how much funding you have? Yeah, 2.8 million US dollars. Yeah. Ah, okay. I thought that was from initialized only, but okay, no, so, so that's. Okay. I, yeah, part, some portion of 2.8 is coming from initialized and then another 10 to yeah. 3. And then you had to spend the money and you had to grow your company and everything. And mm -hmm. how many people, how did that process work? Uh, you grown and actually stole a number of people from Pantaren as well, I can mention. Uh, <laughs> and then you've grown from two people up to how many today? Now we're 14. 14. Um, yeah, we shouldn't use the headcount as like, uh, metric for success, I guess, but, uh, uh, we're 14 people, um, and, uh, we will, we are growing quite a lot actually. So, uh, what is yeah. the best metric for mm. success or growing? Mm. What you would say? It depends on what you want, uh, right. But, uh, yeah, uh, like what's the growth rate of your, 
uh, recurring revenue is a very mm. normal one for SaaS companies. So, yeah, so SaaS companies typically, I'm um, like your investors, mm. what, what, what are the metrics they're most keen on yeah, that you, you hit the target on? Growth rate of recurring revenues. Um, and uh, then of course you need to. Uh, How do you define that? Growth yeah. rate of recurring revenue concretely. Yeah. So maybe someone pays you once mm-hmm. and that's then you're done with it, but it's actually, it's a quite good business model to maybe like with Spotify, for instance, then it's, you pay them subscription. Yeah, w- 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 once okay. every month for something. And that's a recurring Mark. revenue source. And uh, um, yeah, if you can grow mm-hmm. that revenue very fast, that's uh, usually a good sign. Awesome. I'm eager to go into to the tech part here, but um, so you're currently in the situation that you have grown to 14 people and mm-hmm. you're now looking for a new office. Yeah. And um, I guess if, if you were to look ahead like uh, a year, mm. what do you think the next steps would be in terms of scale? And uh, perhaps you can mention a bit about how many companies, I'm not sure if it's a secret or not, so mm. feel free to not disclose uh, disclose any information if you don't want to, but... Yeah, so we work with, uh, uh, since, yeah, like we work, right now we work with relatively larger uh, Scandinavian retailers and e-commerce mm-hmm. sites. So if you go to our websites, you can see some logos there and it's quite well-known brands usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we are have some European ones and so forth. Uh, but in one year we want to expand outside the, the Scandinavian scope to okay. a much further extent. Um, so uh, not just working within Scandinavia. You're speaking Europe or America or uh, mm, Asia uh, or? What's... Yeah, um, it's, uh, yeah, we will see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I have maybe one topic, maybe we should take it now or not, but I, I think it's always very interesting to understand the whole headache. Okay, you, you, you're starting now, you're two people, and then it, was it always easy to understand what the next guy we need is that we turned mm. that t- t- took you to 14? Should I balance? Do I need to get another marketing guy? Do I need to get another coder? Did that come natural for you? You know, was it always obvious in each step or? Yeah, I think it's you- never easy. Um, mm. but if you structure it in a way that, um, it, it's a, it's a painful to do it in this way that we're doing it. Um, but always start with the problem first and then even uh, when recruiting or growing. Yeah. So, uh, that's how you usually do it in like seed stage. Um, then op- optimally you can like predict your growth and everything perfectly. You can predict your problems perfectly. And then you, you, you should be able to, uh, hire people in advance before the problem arises. So, but, so, yeah. what, so concretely, yeah. so I understand. Okay, we have a huge backlog technology-wise in our mm. feature. That's our main problem right now. Yeah. Or we need to attract more attention in the marketplace. Now we have a marketing problem. Is that mm. how you see it? Yeah, so b- based on a lot of interactions with users, yeah. this is a problem that we see. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we go through all the different approaches you can take to solving that problem. And um, if it turns out that headcount or in, like hiring someone who can really spearhead in, in, in that effort, that's the answer, then Go for uh, we it. hire. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, recruitment is a topic in itself. Mm. And um, 
could speak a bit more. But but you've been obviously rather successful, if I may say so myself, okay. in huh. finding good people. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, it's a good start, I think. Cool. If you may, I mean, I, I certainly understand that you have some IP concerns here, mm. uh, intellectual property kind of concerns, so you can't really explain the the, the secrets of what you mm. do. But still, if you think about you know another company, they hear about Depict and they want to understand at least you know mm. some part of the tech. What really is the difference uh, that your solution offers? compared yep. to other solutions and why shouldn't they simply build a recommended system themselves? Mm. Can you just try to go a bit more technical and say, you know, what is really the differentiator and the USPs, the, the unique selling points that you, you have? Yeah. So, um, you mentioned the earlier, the collaborative filtering, mm -hmm. which is like what Amazon's spearheaded yeah. and everything. And if we look at how all existing or most existing e-commerce sites approach their product recommendations today, everyone is basically using the same, I guess you could say old technology, mm -hmm. um, um, that uh, yeah, everyone is kind of using the same technology, the same principles, um, and uh, this relatively old technology works great if you're Amazon and you have huge amounts of data, but if you're not Amazon, you this old technology doesn't work that well compared to the solutions that are now out there with more modern technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, this uh, old technology that everyone is using is basically um, some using... So when you recommend products, you probably recognize it yourself when browsing the web. It's, it's something like... People who bought this product also bought that product, or people who watched this product also watched that product. Mm. Um, and that's kind of an, a summary of this in what you in academia call collaborative filtering. Mm. Um, and collaborative filtering, or people who bought this also bought that, and that works great if you maybe have an e-commerce site with a few amounts of products, um, there's not that much seasonality, and uh, uh, the products has been have been there for a while, and you have huge amounts of flow of customers and data. Uh, that works great. But what happens if you have a product on your e-commerce site? Maybe you're a newly started e-commerce site. You want to become big. You're new to the uh, new to the space. Uh, what if you have a product and you use this others also bought approach, yeah. and th this product has zero purchases right. behind it. So you have a cold start problem there. Yeah. You have no data and still you want to recommend yeah. something. Yeah. What if you have zero purchases behind a product and you try to say people bought this, also bought that, mm. then it's pretty hard to recommend anything, right? Yeah. And these very weird examples you see by browsing around the web uh, stems from this problem that when looking at people who bought this, also bought that, it's not sufficient amount of data and it's the wrong kind of data to give the most relevant recommendation for a specific user. Um, so uh, what if you're an e-commerce site and maybe you are launching a new product collection? Maybe that's because you're like, it's very fashion oriented. There's always new things, or maybe you're just expanding. When you launch a new product, that is when you want your recommendations to be the best. But that's also when your recommendations will be at their worst if you use this. People bought this, also bought that, <laughs> exactly. since that's when you have zero purchases behind it. Yeah. So when you want recommendations to be the best, that's when they will be at their worst. 
So having a small amount of data and a cold start uh, problem yeah. is, is a really big challenge, right? Yeah. And uh, so or what's the solution then? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I can list many problems in this. So <laughs> okay, continue. Yeah. So and then the answer is <laughs> come to depict AI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, maybe so Black Friday for some for some e-commerce sites, it's like eighty percent of the revenue comes from Black Friday. Um, and uh, um, during Black Friday, you have like these insane discounts and everything. Maybe you have a 70% discount at some product and you drive huge amounts of ads on some products and so forth. Mm. Um, and if you use this people bought this, also bought that approach, uh, this others also bought algorithm, we learned that, oh, people buy this product and this product a lot together, hence mm. I do recommend it. Uh, and and uh, they train on data that comes from during Black Friday, Friday. Mm. Um, and maybe these recommendations works great during Black Friday, but after Black Friday, when you don't have these huge marketing campaigns, when you don't have a 70% right. discounted product, yeah. then the recommendations will start look looking very weird, actually. Mm. So a seasonality problem. Then yeah, well. yes. and uh, there are, that's an extreme example of the seasonality yeah. problem, but yeah. there's like autumn, winter, and uh, a bunch of things like that. Yeah. Um, and then there's um, like, uh, usually you have your top sellers on e-commerce site, mm. um, but if you look at where the majority of the volume comes from, it's actually mm. in this long tail. Long tail yeah. um, and what this other source of bot algorithm uh, does, it becomes very easily Biased to recommend the most popular product. I would actually yeah. argue that yeah. point, um, so, but uh, yeah. let me not do that right now. But okay. okay, I can see the point with long yeah. tail, but actually, I think yeah. the collaborative filtering can handle that. Uh, yeah. but, 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 still. but ultimately, there's a lot of different problems here, and ultimately, are you are you are you somewhere here taking a different route fundamentally, yeah. going first principles like we would love to talk uh, Elon Musk style mm -hmm. to decompose mm -hmm. the problem and then go yeah. somewhere else. So could you elaborate a little bit about how you decompose the problem and how you yeah. think different? So the core of the problem, you don't have enough data. If you want to use this transaction use behavior data, you don't have enough data to solely use these people about this or about that kind of approach. Um, what you uh, actually need to do is you need to look at something else and what, what is that? Yeah, and the, what the Pick.ai does is instead of trying to understand products by just looking at the transactions behind a product, um, we understand products by looking at them directly more like a human would do. So in the same way, I would, for instance, go into a physical uh, retail H&M store and ask someone working there for advice uh, I don't need to pour a bunch of transaction data into that person. And they need to say people bought this, also bought that for them to give you good recommendations. But by understanding you and primarily being a really good expert in the products in that store, uh, they can give you pretty good recommendations. Even if a product has zero purchases behind it, they will, like it's a new product collection or whatever, they will give pretty good recommendations. It's a little bit like, oh, mm. you're really, I hear what you're saying. Then mm. you should look at this, it just came in, it's super mm. cool. I think that will fit you perfect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's obvious, right? And that's, when you t look at that analogy, what you're missing here is they actually understand the 
product to that further extent. They extend the, mm. the product, and it's a completely new product. But they mm. understand what what the value what the value proposition of this product is. Yeah, and then they listen to whatever yeah. the customers saying, and then they match it exactly. And uh, and uh, what many of these solutions out there are missing is the understanding of the products. And uh, yeah. so what you're speaking about from a more academic point is more mm. content based systems. Is yeah, that correct. Exactly. And these content based systems they've been around for yeah. quite some time. But uh, uh, if you look, if you would use more content-based systems a few years ago, it would be quite simple methods. It mm. would be like, oh, uh, here you take like bag of words of the text, mm. and uh, you can't really do that much on the images and so forth. Right. Whilst with deep learning, mm. uh, deep, these deep learning models, what they're best at is understanding images and understanding text. And those two things. Yeah, it's the core now. Yeah, and uh, and uh, with uh, that understanding, you can yeah plug a bunch of features into other models to create like similar recommendations, cross-selling, complementary products. Mm. So, like, I have a shirt or a matching pants. Here's an iPhone 12. Here's an iPhone 12 case. But I think yeah. that's a good example. I mean, yeah. for one thing, it's about finding similarity, and yeah. similarity can be found through the transactional data or through content-based mm -hmm. data. But it doesn't really speak about accessories. It doesn't mm. really say that if you buy this TV, you need like a K HDMI cable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And do you have any thought or solutions for that? Yeah, we have solutions for that. And mm. that's... Uh, what do you call that? Because that is complementary. Yeah, it's like cross-sell complementary. There's like some cross-sells are very specific. Some cross-sells mm. are more general. Also, or uh, so maybe I have a dishwashing machine and there's it broke and I need a specific accessory. Mm. And I, then there's also a dishwashing tablet. Th yes. Those are different specificity. Mm. Um, so, um, and, and there you get into the IP, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. you have this area called also basket analysis, I mm. think, you know, where you try to understand these type of products go together yeah. in some way. Uh, find that yeah. and and what this uh, transaction data uh, usually you can find complementary items for mm. transactions but similarity can actually be hard yeah. uh, since uh, what you just see on the transactions is the end result you don't know how you don't know the journey to a further extent on how you reach you can look at like page mm. view journey data but it's still quite complex by the transactions. So how much is it about understanding the customer journey and the exploration mm. and how much is it to really have the content based view of, of, of so so when someone is buying mm. something or, or is looking at something, mm. you know, you don't know exactly what the journey mm. has been, but you know that and now you know content wise, these are similar stuff or complementary stuff. Is it both mm. or? Yeah, it's both. So um, if you don't understand the products, mm. then it's pretty hard. Yes. Maybe I understand you as a human, but if I don't understand what I'm giving advice on, then it's pretty hard to do anything. So you need to understand the products before doing the personalization yes. part, uh, which is a huge part as well. So, I mean, if we try to summarize mm -hmm. a bit the tech here, and I'd love to move to some other topic mm -hmm. here, but there is a number of ways to try to understand for one, the products, of course, understand, I guess, the transactions, understand, you know, if it's accessories or not, or this kind of mm -hmm. complementary kind of products. But is there some aspect also to try to understand a user? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Do, 
Uh, okay, anything you can just speak about there? How yep. do you understand the user as well? So you have like um, a bunch of events from a user. So mm -hmm. uh, what kind of products did they watch? What kind of things did they click on? What did they search for specifically on a site? Mm -hmm. um, and based on those behaviors, you need to try to understand. So there are some e-commerce sites, so like Salando, for instance, they're exploring actively asking questions during the journey. So like, oh, um, we see we, you, you we, look, yeah, continue, we, take the example. We see that you're browsing around these things. Do you actually like blue dresses or red dresses? Like a, actually asking a question Oh, so um, making the whole experience more interactive. In yeah. Uh, so there are some things like that, but now it's always implicit kind of based on, okay. uh, what Use, kind of what they uh, click on? Yeah, um, and then uh, what you need to have is a good product understanding to extrapolate on on that. Uh, usually, speaking about Zalando, I know they're mm. very much in the forefront here, mm. also in, in a number of ways, and they also try to understand fashion and mm. long-term trends. Mm. You know what will happen in terms of clothes and whatnot. Mm. And is that a space you also are looking into, or is that something still? Yeah, I, I think that's part of the like meta problem of Salando. Um, they have huge amounts of data. Mm. They have the capacity to hire all these machine learning uh, engineers and so forth. Mm. Um, and they, they see many very clear, cool uh, business use cases mm. when they apply this. Um, so um, I think we, we are focusing on providing the best recommendations, but right. as an end result, uh, at the core, we just need to get better at understanding products deeper and deeper and deeper. And yes. when we understand the products, then making dynamic pricing, uh, uh, doing a bunch of things becomes much easier since that's usually a missing piece in mm. many of these algorithms today. So, so, okay. Are we done with this part of the tech? I, I want to understand also, mm. because I think another point is like how now I'm, I'm a retailer, e-commerce, how does it work when I want to plug in? depict AI, what mm. was the practicality here? Yeah. So That's what do you one. do? So, um, what many e-commerce sites and retailers, uh, have problems with is they, it's such a full, st it, there are so many things you need to do. So you need to work with logistics. You need to work with like uh, performance marketing, SEO, all, all of these things. And they maybe haven't been an organization that have focused on building like uh, to hire engineers and so forth. So um, their developer capacity to get help from engineers and developers is quite low usually. So um, when we started the pick.ai, we thought, well, we should create our API and we will just sit in our basement or this Scandic hotel. They, and we, they will do it for us. Exactly. Self-service. Yeah. <laughs> and we will just work on our API and then the customers will come and, and sadly it doesn't work that way. Um, so, um, the customer is not mature enough with the full engineering team to use mm. plug into your API. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's actually a simple API, um, but just there's so many things they need to do. And if you're coming in as a 17 year old and saying, Hey, I have this algorithm. Can you just connect to the API? Then they can say, Oh yeah, but let's do it in three months. And 
then there's this COVID comes along and there are other things you need to focus on. So you need to, so what if someone came to you and they said, um, you just have to spend five minutes from your end. Um, and if you spend five minutes with me, I have this framework to help you objectively and quantifiably prove that your revenue increases and there's no risk from your end. You only need to make this five minutes time investment. So you worked on your actual sales pitch, uh, like, yeah. uh, like a door salesman and nailing it down to lower the threshold of yeah. the decision. Or I think it's, but if I was better at sales, maybe this solution wouldn't have come up, but since uh, we were not maybe the best salesmen, um, you, you couldn't talk them yeah. down. You needed to take them down. You needed to en engineer a way. Yes. Uh, engineer process. the sale. Yeah. So what, what, uh, the customer, so we, we have created a process to, um, the only thing an e-commerce site has to do to integrate with the picked is share their account with us through Google tag manager. Uh, which is basically as simple as sharing a Google Calendar invite with a colleague. And when you do that, uh, we can, and that takes less than five minutes actually. Um, and uh, when you do that, we can actually set up this A-B test. And an A-B test is a way to, uh, A-B test, or there are other ways to also do it, um, where you can basically just have a, a cohort where 50% of the users get this old recommendation engine and then 50% get this new recommendation engine. It's still the same UI and everything. It's just different products that's displayed. Mm. And then you can uh, measure. Scientifically um, hardcore. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when you do that and they see quite large increases. Um, this is how you say. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And, and, and you can also Usually when you go to many websites and just look visually at the recommendations, you see that this doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. uh, so what you can also do is you can scrape the website before you meet with an e-commerce site and you can run it through this. So since uh, another big thing with the pick.ai is if you use, if you buy a, a solution that uses this other source of bot logic, then you need to collect a bunch of data over a period of months until it is fully trained, right? And yours is... Yeah, exactly. So we can just, in the first sales call, we can visually show them hundreds of examples. We've scraped your site. Here's what you recommend today. You maybe have, um, you maybe have a share and then you recommend toilet paper. Like, what is this? And, and here's what you could recommend with the picked instead. And you show many examples and then you can say, yeah, if you just do this Google Tag Manager, share your account with Google Tag Manager, run an A-B test, then you will get black and white, like what this product actually does. I like it, move it, mm -hmm. move it, uh, like the whole it. sales into a more scientific area in some way. Yeah. And being able to objectively measure the performance yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really, really cool. Um, I, you know, the time is flying away here. Yeah, I, exactly. of, um, I had so many more questions to ask about this, but I think we, we should start moving a bit more into more philosophical topics, mm -hmm. but perhaps, you know, speaking a bit more about Amazon, mm. since that's one part of your sales pitch as well, mm -hmm. and, you know, we want to have an alternative to the big tech giants and Amazon, yeah, which we love. <laughs> and 
And I think it's so important because, you know, it, it, it's a big danger if we don't have a good support for, for Swedish retailers to, to be able to cope with the future AI and data-driven, <laughs> you know, future that we will have in some way. What do you think, you know, the impact of having Amazon moving into Sweden, they did the launch, they didn't go that well. They had a rather, you know, embarrassingly <coughs> horrible translations and whatnot that was kind of weird <laughs> that they do, right? Or what did you think about the Amazon launch to begin yeah, with I, in Sweden? Um, I think they were dependent on uh, if, if they would provide a good service to the customers. They were dependent on other retailers and e-commerce sites in Sweden to connect to Amazon. Mm. But uh, not that many connected to Amazon actually. Right. So uh, the logistics and the, uh, all the products that you actually needed, they weren't there. So, so like, like if you go to an e-commerce site, what you actually care about is what they sell. Right. Uh, and if you only get uh, translated products from the UK or stuff mm. like that, then it's harder to create uh, an e-commerce site from that. But uh, Amazon has all of the prerequisites mm. to, yeah, like they have the logistics, they have the uh, logistics can be harder in Sweden since mm. it's like a very long country, um, mm. but they can solve that uh, better than uh, most. Um, and they, they have like the infrastructure to take over yeah. more of the Swedish e-commerce market for sure yeah for sure and uh, and there's also the, the question i mean amazon is different than, than what you provide because you provide a service for specific retailers instead mm. of building a marketplace mm. that they do do you think would you see in the future that you know depict could go to the marketplace arena as well mm, not no no not uh, what okay. very so um maybe uh, maybe some e-commerce sites they kind of operate in a marketplace but we would like they they have other kind of like uh, blocket or ebay that mm. kind of setup um yeah that can work if they want to use the pick.ai's recommendation engine we need to do some fine tunings in in how it works as mm. you have these other problems like what's the quality of the product to start with mm. if someone uploads something to block it it could also be a scam how do you know it's a scam um but um yeah for now we're not focusing on marketplaces mm. yeah, that's good I, I recognize you know some from the spotify days as well you know mm. we didn't you know take on record labels you know mm. we instead you know were a complement to them mm. And uh, they still take that approach and it's been successful. So mm. I think it could be a good idea. Um, I'd like to, to move into the whole education question, unless you have other, you know, uh, we have not that, that much we time. Have, so. I, I think, I think uh, education and, or, or the path for young people to take, I mean, like education yeah. is one big topic, but it's also the alternative ways. So maybe, I mean, let me do try to try to make a segue from Amazon into the question of education and, and how people and companies simply uh, have the best potential to, to work well. Amazon, you know, spend huge amount of money on research. Um, unfortunately, they don't publish that much. They don't do much open sourcing, but they still spend huge amount of money on R&D. And, you know, it's the most valuable company in the world. So obviously they do something right. Um, and then the question becomes a bit, 
what is the best way for a person that want to you know have the highest impact in some way uh, as you said it already in the beginning for yourself you know you you thought the normal type of educational system we have in Sweden doesn't really work for you that well at least and you think you can have a higher impact by taking a different route in some mm. way but other people you know like myself do the stupid route of doing a phd and everything which you know is pr- probably a complete waste of time but mm. still what is your thinking about the educational system that for example we have in sweden and uh, mm. yeah yeah so i haven't um you know i haven't experienced the whole like uh, university and then graduate mm. and all of that to some extent so um people who went through that they say that uh, they they get a lot of value that's maybe outside of the education also mm. they they meet a bunch of people that uh, create very good relationships and uh, yeah many things make sense there um so what i think about the swedish education system in the parts i participated in um i think that um if you have outside like if you have very intense interests and maybe someone has an intense interest in mathematics and mm. they they have uh, this interest and they want to maybe go beyond what's uh, what's the is average what's, yeah what's the, the curriculum cur- then yeah. it's uh, i got the sense or where i did, attended school uh, i got the sense that that was discouraged to do that because you were it was yeah. used uncomfortable to deal with that yeah uh, uh, so mm. that's discouraged and if <sighs> if it's the reverse then it's there's there are better systems to handle mm. but if if it's something where you really want to go dive deep within then uh, then that's discouraged it's much better to be very broad and be kind of okay in a bunch of subjects but uh, you know could, could i make yeah, like yeah. a press um, controversial uh, mm. statement here saying we need an uh, depict ai for educational systems mm. Mm. what i mean with that is you know it's it's really hard to for one make recommendations that is not personalized mm-hmm. if you make you know s- the same recommendations to everyone um or the same education for everyone mm. it will not work well mm. but the more personalized and flexible and adaptable you can be probably it will be mm. more effective would you agree yeah. um yeah and then there are like uh side effects of like you want to have uh, uh, like equal opportunity and a bunch of stuff like that mm. and i guess if you fiddle with those if you get equally good equally well personalized ed- education to everyone i guess you saw that equally like, good personalized uh, so like, like may- a contradiction in terms in some way so like you maybe fair, if i fair, fair personalization <laughs> so like if i i if everyone gets their personalized education curriculum i, I assume this you create this uh, uh process or algorithm to personalize it mm-hmm. maybe for someone who's interested in math the personalization algorithm it performs much better mm-hmm. whilst if you uh, want to personalize more in the uh you want to do like liberal arts or something and this algorithm performs worse then you get uh, i guess society i guess societal effects out of that 
So the, the ad grid needs to consider both the societal aspect and the personalized aspects, you would say? Or? Yeah, but if it's like unequally, it, it, if it performs unequally well uh, among the population, uh, then so that's, yeah. So it's an interesting <laughs> one. Like, so your idea of personalized education mm. is still very, very tricky because how can you still have it fair, uh, equal opportunity? Mm. Because if you do personalize and, and the, and there's not an equal opportunity anymore, because what you are really one you pas- passionate about, the algorithm is bad at that particular point. Yeah. I would yeah. still argue for, you know, a more data driven education system yeah. would be awesome to have. But, right? but, but, uh, but, uh, how would you, dis- if you take your mind, I mean, like you have a brilliant, fantastic mind, Oliver, and how to, how to find the burning problem and to work on that. So if you would, would to identify the real burning problem that you want to innovate mm. in the education system, how would you frame that? Have you thought mm. about it? Because um, I, I think it's something there. I've thought about it, but I don't know if I have mm-hmm. solutions actually. Um, yeah, just come up with the problem. Mm, what is um, the problem? If that is a burning problem worth innovating. So I have one data point, which is me. Yeah. And <laughs> Um, Anecdotal data, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, one uh, data point. I love when tech guys talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess you should allow, uh, allow, you know, uh, allow interests to flourish in, uh, in, in a better way. Um, yeah. And uh, um, yeah like have systems for that. And I think some countries do it, do this quite well. Yeah. Denmark has better systems for yeah. it. Singapore has better systems. Uh, US, I think, has better systems somewhere for it. Um, so, um, yeah, let's, let's stuff. Yeah. But, but I think what you said now nails it. Mm-hmm. I, oh, I'm thinking or I'm been reading and thinking mm. in the same, uh, same ways. So it, it basically, it, it, it challenges what is the fundamental goal of the educational system. Mm. And if we are coming from a place where, you know, going back to the 1900s, where you, you, we were supposed to have a certain amount of data put into our heads, a, a certain vocabulary, a certain na- na- number of kings we should know, wars we should know, whatever right so then your goal is is basically to we should all give them a baseline knowledge so mm-hmm. so the goal is uh, some sort of knowledge right but what if you flip uh, the goal and it's basically to to nurture talent or to mm-hmm. nurture interest or flourish interest or basically um nurture motivation to learn mm-hmm. so I, i'm not here i'm not here to teach you this i'm here to teach you how to learn Mm. I'm here to motivate you for lifelong learning. Then the metric is completely different. And I I guess the methodologies of how you facilitate, how do I teach people to learn? I mean, like it would be very different. So Mm. I think what you're highlighting here is a little bit like flourishing in what people are doing, you know, pinpointing the igikai, like the Mm. the core uh, purpose and all that. Okay, so education, we, we need to improve it in some ways. I think it certainly doesn't fit everyone. It didn't fit you that well, fit other people perhaps better. But then if we move into the question of recruitment as well, and you mm. want to build your company, you want to have the be- best type of skills in your company. Can you share perhaps some of your thinking about, you know, how do you find a good recruit, a good candidate that could join Depict AI? What do you look for? Mm. Um, 
So, um, I, I, this will depend on like what stage of company you are, um, and it will also depend on um, yeah what problem you're solving. Um, but for the pick.ai, we um, like we we have some problems that no one really has looked into before, and you need to be quite smart and innovative around those problems. So, um, instead of maybe looking at, okay, did you finish this degree or something? Mm. F- focus more on uh, what track record do you have of solving really hard problems, or like what track record of uh, yeah. So people should yeah. be able to give some examples of projects they have done in the past, or what do you mean? Yeah, may, may, like usually. Usually, well, some some something that works pretty well is if they this this makes the recruiting a little bit biased. But um, um, if they if they started coding, for instance, much earlier than mm. university, well, uh, then yeah, uh, they have like a innate interest for for this. It's not they do this for a uh, vocation. It's more that so they. They really like this, and uh, usually when you ask them about the projects they've, they've had, they usually have some very specific projects, and they are usually in extremely good mm. at those things. Uh, but I think it also starts with um, having a very good vision and very like interesting problem mm. and. Uh, vision for the company, you mean, or vision for the for the person? Uh, company and uh, like if if the company, if you have the right prerequisites for the company, then it's of course much easier to to find good yeah. people. So basically, if you can find people that have a strong passion for yeah yeah tech or for what or what's the the passion you're looking for. Um, the passion I'm looking for, it depends on the role, um, but uh, um, like, yeah, they're passionate about the company and and the vision when you explain it to them. Um, They, um, like if, uh, if, uh, like right now, if they have a track record of, well, uh, I did this thing before and it's, you think, wow, and I, I wouldn't do that myself. I think that this person would uh, help me in ways that I, I couldn't, we, we couldn't do right, right now. That's a very good sign. Mm, right. um, yeah. So people that can complement you and, and other people yeah. in the team. Yep. And go do you have any uh, traits or any things you're looking for that is going across any role. So I mean, like yeah. you, you, coders, yes, marketing guys, sales guys. But mm. is it something that is like this? Is something that is more to culture or what? You, what type of company? Or do you have anything like yeah. that you're looking for? Yeah. So uh, I would say they all have like a big drive to build something great. Um, <clears throat> they they like yeah they have this ambition. Uh, they. Um, the for the pick.ai specifically, uh, like everyone is uh, like we call it egoless mindset, which is that if we're maybe talking about a specific problem or something, um, 
everyone is humble and when you're talking about the problem you're talking about the problem it's not it, this is your idea this is mine idea uh, i'm hurting you if you do this uh, specific thing you go into a very academic and data-driven way so you reason like talking more yeah that's kind of and how do you identify those characteristics what are they asking some specific questions so what are you looking for to pick out on these core values that you, you really mm -hmm. believe in um <clears throat> so um i think the way we conducted our recruiting process it's um, we are quite high touch with the with the people we mm. we've recruited so far um at this stage uh, like the the company is just the set of people you have um so we we've spent quite a lot of uh, yeah time, time together with them time and, together uh, and, and then uh, you they, figure that out yeah so if, if you talk to yeah m maybe if it's an interview maybe you're just getting the people that are the best at interviewing but if you spend some time together with them and maybe do some test working and so forth so, so yeah. your process is actually geared towards high touch or, you know, feeling, right now, you know, yeah. working, working them yeah. makes a hell of a lot of sense. To yeah. Me. But uh, it can't work. It doesn't scale to, no. too long. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And uh, since we only have like five minutes left, but, um, if we think a bit more long-term and perhaps mm. the future of AI and these more philosophical questions, mm -hmm. um, and singularity and things like this. But let's start with this. Uh, I'm not sure how much in touch you are with the recent uh, state of the art type of AI, but mm -hmm. do you have some kind of favorite AI models that you recently yeah. read about or something you're fascinated about? Yeah, so <clears throat> I'm uh, OpenAI's, uh, the latest one, uh, DALL-E and Dali, CLIP. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the fun thing is this CLIP model, we like the way they train this model <clears throat> is very tied to like utilizing the web mm. in a good way. Uh, I think they basically, if, if I don't, they, what they did is they found a bunch of images on the web and they found a bunch of text on the web. Yeah. And how did they found this text? Well, uh, they didn't specify that clearly exactly, but a large part of it I think comes from actually these attributes that you can get from blind and vision impaired. And uh, so like right. alt texts and so forth. There's I think image descriptions and things like yeah, that as well. Yeah. Uh, there was this paper called Wilbert or something. Uh, so uh, that was way before clip. Oh, okay. um, and they used a data set from Google called conceptual captions, mm -hmm. which is just they scraped the whole internet kind of, mm. and uh, and since the web is so large, they could have very strict uh, strict thresholds to to they utilized blind and like uh, web accessibility standards to create this uh, text to image mapping mm. and, and to create this huge data set. Um, so I just like the concept of using the web in, yeah. in that way, um, and then. If you look at the examples of this DALI model, I think they have this famous example where it says like, give me an avocado share and yeah. you get, and it can automatically generate an image yeah, of an awesome. av avocado share. And then there's this clip model where they, they achieve state of the art and a bunch of 
things with very little training examples, which yeah. is pretty cool. Which is pretty cool. I mean, I think it would do, you know, sometimes we, we call this in Batar at least mm. for operational AI, where you can actually use AI even if you don't have annotated data. Mm. And, and I think in your case, you're speaking about you know companies that don't have perhaps a huge amount of annotated mm. data, but they still want to understand the product. Mm. And you want to stand a text and a product yep. description, and you want to send the product from an image point of view. And obviously, Clip, mm. I think Clip actually is, is more interesting than DALI, yep. if, if I were to choose, because it really demonstrates what you can do if you use data without having explicit annotations. Mm. And, and I think that's... Um, yeah, but we can plug... Uh, I think Rice is having a webinar on the Clip model mm. uh, in, in a couple of days. For, yeah, I for think it was today. Or yeah, was it today? Magnus said it. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. So it's it's out there. Yeah, we even have a Swedish version of, of Clip actually, mm. uh, partly. So it's kind of yeah, really amazing stuff. So it's something you you are thinking about how to integrate to or think yeah, about. Yeah, we have integrated it. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're into the Clip model already. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Mm. So already productionized or still in beta kind of production or prototype phase or. So we've taken, um, yeah, concepts of it and yeah, productionized. Yeah. No IP problem yeah. here. No one is. Listening. It's okay. You can talk about this. <laughs> so here with people aren't ED, and then these guys having concepts of it in production. I mean, it's like Luciano you know, speaking about the transformer uh, logistics. Hmm. No, but I think it makes perfect sense. So I'm very glad hmm. to hear that you you're for one on, to on top of these kind of things. It really demonstrates that you have a lot of knowledge in what's happening in AI and uh, what the right direction for the future. I would mm -hmm. say some people is, are doing it. Just do it. Yes, that's awesome. Love it, Oliver. Thank you. So very briefly, since we don't have that much time, but okay, so imagine like five, ten years ahead and imagine, mm. you know, what Elon Musk or Ray Kirchwald or uh, other people are saying about, you know, potentially we'll have a point in the future mm. in a you know, number mm. of years where we lose control of AI and, mm. and that will develop itself and we can't really control it anymore. Are, uh, is that something you have been thinking about or concerned about, worried about? Mm. Um. So um, Anton, uh, one of the co-founders of the mm. Pictot AI, we kind of bonded them at each other through this question and, oh, really? <coughs> and this, this book called Superintelligence by right. Nick Bostrom. Yes. Um, and I think it's uh, probably, like if you think as um, someone who is very into logic and so forth, um, if you come from that perspective, I think you can reason that it can probably be the biggest problem that we might be facing. Mm. Um, since like where were we 400 years ago, where were we 200 years ago, 100 years ago, 50 years ago as a society, mm. uh, maybe we don't have to care that much about, oh, will it happen in 10 years or 50 years? Like probably something will happen if we don't uh, kill ourselves for other ways, probably something will happen in maybe 300 years. Um, if you extrapolate on this and- uh, That's your number? Uh, like maybe it happens in 10 years, but mm. uh, let's be conservative. Like <clears throat> I would say it doesn't matter when well, it happens since point. the impact will be just so enormous. But do you think it's necessarily bad <clears throat> then? Or could mm. it actually be a positive change in our society? Um, I think, that's a hard part, right? Um, so depends on how, what kind of incentives you give this. Uh, what KPI did yeah, you put on the model? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and uh, if you have the wrong KPI, it can be bad. If you have the 
right KPI, it can be very good. I have a you know a theory that I tried to to explain a number of times before, but I, I don't think I really succeeded that well. But in in some way, it's basically phrased like the more intelligent you become, the more civilized the society become, the more friendly the world becomes. The less the law of the jungle rules and decides on what you do. So if you simply assume by that analogy that, you know, if something becomes more intelligent than the normal average mm. human, it could be expected that it actually becomes more civilized. Yeah. It becomes more friendly and it becomes something that make that helps us be more happy as humans. Yeah, and the, I think it makes a lot of sense, um but it's hard to know and I wouldn't bet the potential impact of this, what if we achieve this AGI or, or mm. super intelligence on the assumption that, oh, it's fine, it will mm. figure it out by itself. I, I mean, I think, you know, as we said, yeah. you know, the danger is really mm. before we reach that point. Mm -hmm. The danger is when we have narrow AI potentially mm. and we have autonomous weapons and we have mm. something that uh, crashed the stock market or something. Mm. And it's very, very far from having the type of general intelligence that we want it yeah, to have. So I think that the more um, the more deeper or more people who've been deeper into AI we've had here, it seems like we're these conversations face we are actually more scared of narrow inter mm. intelligence gone rogue before we are scared of general intelligence. Mm. So like even I even the, even, even the finest market what going the, bananas. What about the, the the quote we heard last time? I think I I'd like to welcome our over overlords in some way, and and I think that's who actually that? uh, who was the, it? The second to last one. Ah, I, I can't know. remember. I like that phrase. I think mm. it could be nice. Yeah. That we have. I don't know. yeah, but I mean, like, but I think the likelihood that we have a, a, a quite big impact, I mean, maybe this is the biggest impact we're talking about now, but to have a really substantial impact that if we are now looking for the bad impacts, the bad risks, uh, you know, narrow AI gone rogue. Uh, mm. That could happen any, I mean, like uh, the finance system goes bananas. Mm. Awesome, Oliver. Um, Let's end up with perhaps some just a few questions like, uh, what's next in your life? Personally, professionally, what's happening in mm. coming months? Coming on. So, um, yeah, for the pick.ai, yeah, we need to get a new office. We need to, <laughs> we uh, talked about that. We need to, we're hiring a lot. Yes. Uh, so, um, yeah. What are you looking for? Yeah, we if you go to our website, you can find all of those things. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, hiring, find a new office. I probably, Number one thing is just hiring. Um, probably, yeah. 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 Uh, what are, we haven't talked. Uh, what, what, well, like you, obviously, you are you're a passionate coder. Mm. Uh, what is happening outside the oh. the world of code? Mm -hmm. What is happening outside the world of code? So I'm not coding that much on a day to day basis uh, recently. Oh, you but uh, but, uh, but okay, uh, outside of your profession, then, like oh. uh, when you switch the depict AI off. So. I'm very interested in the pics.ai. Yeah, uh, obviously. But uh, I meditate a lot, actually. Ooh, and uh, I, uh, I do as well. It's yeah, nice to hear. And I. We should have brought that topic up. Yeah, we should yeah. have asked this question <sighs> earlier. Yeah, we have. need to start doing that more. Yeah. We get so nerdy on only mm. the business side of persons mm. and we miss some beautiful topics like mm. meditation. Just a quick question. What's your. Can you just describe how do you meditate? From how do I meditate? Yeah, so. Um, 
there are <clears throat> I actually use two meditation techniques mm. and uh, um, the first 30 minutes I do this daily and the first 30 minutes um, like you focus first on your breath and then when you get acquainted with that you focus on the sounds and then bodily sensations and then mm. the visual uh, field and then you can actually open your eyes and it becomes pretty uh, we do this sitting down in some yoga mode or in more laying down or what's yeah sitting down sitting down and then how did you learn this did you get a teacher or did you read up self-studied or yeah self-studied um there's uh, yeah the pretty famous podcaster sam harris uh, sam harris yeah, uh, yeah. Yes. and uh yeah. Do you use this app as, as well? Yeah, yeah. I, I track question. my meditation. So which which which, which app is Sam Harris app? Waking up and waking it's, up. Uh, it's very. It's probably, I it has the best stickiness for me since you track the amount of consecutive days you meditated in a row, right? Yeah, game gamification. Yeah, you of can't meditation. you can't beat that streak. <laughs> you know, like you you can't stop that streak after a while, right? Um, so, um, yeah. Awesome. And, and maybe a personal question, but what, what brought you into meditation? Hmm. So, um, my parents, they, um, are pretty good at this and, uh, they, they incorporated that very early. Uh, mm. in, in, when did you start meditating? Oh, um, so first they were like very much encouraging me to do it. And then, um, and then, you know, when your parents push it to you, then mm. you're less receptive. Yes. But when they push back, then you actually become more receptive. But I think the first seeds come from them pushing when I was very, very young. Oh, really? So, yeah. Interesting. Mm. Awesome. Mm. Um, and final question. Um, Oliver, do you have any people you would like mm. to hear on this podcast? Anyone that you would like to listen to yourself, perhaps? Oh, mm. um, Many people. Um, hmm. um, so it's in Sweden, or yeah, we yeah. have to come <coughs> yeah. to the office or the yeah. dungeon. So the, the, someone that can join the studio, we like this experience hmm. to have the. So that was that would be. So um, I should have prepared this, uh, but uh, I. Uh, I know that uh, there's this company called Sauna Labs that yeah. uh, maybe yeah. you of want course. to invite them. Um, there's UL there. Um, there is uh, thinking of e-commerce sites. So yeah, sorry, I should have prepared. Um, ah. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. thinking, ignoring, you know, Swedish mm. people, just thinking international then I guess like Sam mm. Harris or someone would be interesting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, someone like that then, you know, just uh, hypothetically. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like it's, I, I think if you would ask this question, like if you go to the space of AI and mm. the, the academic way of thinking, I guess many people would say Sam Harris, many people would say Elon Musk, many yeah. people would say Maybe Max Tegmark is yeah. a Swedish yeah. one. Max is yeah. famous. Nick Bostrom. Um, um, yeah, there's one one guy in Oxford that works a lot with Nick Bostrom, who's done cool things, but I don't remember his name. But mm. yeah, 
Ah, really good suggestions, yeah. though. Yeah. I love it. Oliver, it's been a yeah. true pleasure. You. you know, as usual, we come up with inspiring as hell. Inspiring as hell. Come up with the awesome questions in the end, and I wish we had more time to dig deeper into them. But um, I think it's been really interesting to to hear about your journey, and uh, it's so interesting that you, at this young age, been able to succeed in mm. in, in that extreme way that you have. And uh, wish you the very best, you know, in yep. the future journey as well. Thank you, yeah. and it's very nice uh, being here and talking yeah. like this. Yeah, hope you enjoy Thank the experience. You. Yeah, yeah. a lot. Thank you. Cool. Thanks. See you. Bye.